If you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 2 through 4, and Pam Rivera is going to come up and read for us. And so if you would, please stand with me out of respect for God's Word. If you're new to Central or this is your first week, we stand at the reading of God's Word as a reminder for us of the importance of God's Word in our lives, that we are underneath His Word, His revealed Word for us. And so this is uh, why we stand out of respect for it. So Pam, pass it off to you. Good morning, church family. Today we're reading Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it dear, which is how I ought to speak. I'm sorry, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Church, hear the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Pam. As Isaiah 40 says, the grass wither and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Father, as we now turn our attention to your word, we continue in just prayer and we continue in just asking you to give us your favor and be with us this morning. Father, I pray that whatever we've brought into this place today, um, Lord, that we would just be able to kind of push that aside, that we might just hear you, might hear from you this morning, not my words, but your words um, for us as your people. And so, Lord, please speak through me, a very broken vessel, uh, for the sake of your people and for your glory. Ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, so it's been a long time, but you may remember how we started this series in the book of Colossians. Coming out of the cultural series that we did, we had read in the first chapter of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 6, Paul was speaking about the gospel. He was speaking about the gospel of Jesus going out into the world. And this is what Colossians 1, verse 6 says. It says, the gospel which has come to you, being the, the people in Colossae, has indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. Since that day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So when we came to the book of Colossians, we recognized that the gospel was moving forward, that it was continually increasing, continually to bear fruit in the lives of people and all throughout the first century, all throughout Mesopotamia. And the goal and the desire that we wanted to understand was we wanted to see that the work that was happening in the church in Colossae has continued year after year, generation after generation, all the way up to the point where we now are in this place at this time as people, many of us at least, who have confessed our faith in Jesus Christ. This is the kind of increase and bearing of fruit that God wanted to see the gospel as it moved forward into history. And we want to continue to see that as in our lives and through this church. We want to be faithful to this task. And so as we've looked at this, we've looked at Colossians as kind of this command of like how we, as the people of God, are to conduct ourselves in this world, in this time, as the people of God. And Paul now wraps up the book of Colossians with a series of commands or a series of admonishments. And we get to the first one in this text, which is simply to a command to steadfast prayer. Now before I jump into the specifics of steadfast prayer, there's something that I really want to lay in terms of a foundation of just some assumptions that I think that we need to be mindful of for each of us in this room. And these are ones that even this morning as I was thinking and I was praying about this sermon, and I was praying about sharing this, that 
that even in my own heart, I can see and, and sense a, a time uh, at times that I'm not always excited about some of these assumptions. But here, here's what they are. These are some foundational assumptions we need to be mindful of. Before we can come to the commands, we need to be understanding and have a desire in our own lives to mature in our faith. So that's a real question for each of us in this room. Do you, right now, this morning, have a desire to mature, to grow, to further in your faith, to deepen in your faith, to deepen in your walk with God? If your answer this morning is no, then nothing I say the rest of this time makes any difference. It's a complete waste of time. Because Paul's entire intent for this book, for us, all throughout the years and all throughout the ages, is that his people would grow and mature in their faith. They would continually move forward in their faith. And so we come each week with the assumption that everybody walks into these doors with that desire at some level. Even if you're just a brand new baby, maybe you don't know anything about God, but at some level you come to this place because you want to grow or deepen in your faith. So that's one assumption we have to have before we can get to the commands. Now, the second assumption is this, that you have a desire to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Do you have a desire to bear fruit for the kingdom of God? And we may say, yeah, absolutely, I do. But so often, I think, at least in my own life, we can easily begin to align our purposes with all of the purposes of the world, gaining more gaining more influence, gaining more material possessions, gaining more comfort in our own lives, mindful about what bills we're going to pay and all of the different things that come to pass in our own lives. Uh, and, and really, oftentimes, faith can just be about dealing with our sins so that we feel confident as we enter into eternity. This is not what the gospel intends for his people. For, for God, he intends his people to be co-laborers as he moves the gospel forward into history. And so it's a genuine question we have to examine in our own hearts. Do we even have a desire to bear fruit for the kingdom? If you don't, then again, we need to examine our own hearts and, and, and ask the question, do these commands even matter to us? And then finally, another assumption that we need to have is that we recognize that we need help. If you don't think you need God's help, prayer in your life will be non-existent. I had a good friend of mine, a missionary who was serving um, in France, and he said this, and I, I don't know where he got it, I don't know if he quoted it from someone else, but he said, your, the amount of prayer in your life is directly proportionate to your dependence upon God. The amount of prayer in your life is directly proportionate to the amount of dependence you have upon God. And here's the sad thing, many of us, and myself included, can find ourselves walking throughout life where we spend 90% of our time doing things in our own strength, in our own way. And only 10% of our time do we actually go to the Lord, and usually when we do that, it's because something catastrophic is happening in our lives. Or because we need Him for something. Or because we want His help in something. Brothers and sisters, if we don't realize that we need God for every part of our lives then these commands will mean nothing to us. They won't matter to us. It won't make any difference to us. And so we really need to start, first and foremost, asking these questions. Do we actually desire to mature in our faith? Do we desire to bear fruit for the kingdom of God, as Colossians has called us to? Do we even recognize that we need help? If the answer to those questions 
is not yes, then we should examine our hearts. And I think we'd be honest and say that very few of us could say yes every day of our lives to that, those questions. Like, I vacillate back and forth, right? Like, there's days I really desire to do that, and there's days I don't. There's moments I really see that I need the Lord, and there's days and moments when I don't feel like I need the Lord for a variety of reasons. But the point is we should continually be asking these things. And if these things are really desires of our heart, and we really see these things, then the command that Paul gives us has some real weight because the command now leads us to understand how we can begin to see these things happen in our own lives, how we can begin to see maturity happen in our own lives, how we can begin to see the fruit for the kingdom, how we can see the Lord's help in our own lives. So those are some assumptions that we need to have before we get to the command. But let's get to the command, which is this. Our prayer is to be steadfast. The word in the ESV, it says, uh, continue steadfastly. That's actually only one word in the Greek. And it's a command that, and, and with this idea of persevering devotedly. Just think about what that means, to persevere devotedly. So Paul commands us to persevere devotedly in prayer. How many of you could describe your prayer life like that? that I persevered devotedly to prayer. Like that's, a, that's a tall order, isn't it? In fact, you even think about it, like what does that even mean in our lives? Like, Do we even see this kind of like persevering devotion in people around us? I think we can see it in sports and a variety of other things, but what does it mean for us in our Christian walks? Well, I'll give you an illustration of what persevering devotion looks like. Uh, several years ago, my youngest son, Ethan, who decided he wanted a pet. Uh, my daughter had a guinea pig, and so he thought, man, I would love to have a little rodent of my own, and so we decided to get him a gerbil. Um, and so we got him a gerbil, and we named this gerbil Chewy. Now, we didn't know that that was a perfect name for this gerbil, because on night one, we woke up at like, well, it was 10 o'clock at night, and we start hearing this horrible sound coming from Ethan's room. And what we realized is that this gerbil had climbed up onto the gate of his cage and all four legs sat there shaking the cage and chewing on it all night long. Literally, loudest thing ever. And it's like, man, this, this has to stop because we can't sleep. And so we tried everything we could. We tried to take wires and tie the gate closed so it wouldn't rattle. He chewed through the wires. I tried to take blankets and shove them between the gate and the cage and then close it so that it wouldn't make a rattling noise. He chewed through the blanket. We tried to put weights on top of it so that it wouldn't lay, like 10-pound weights, right? And this gerbil could still shake the cage every single night. Finally, we decided that the only answer for this gerbil was to stick him underneath the bathroom sink, close the cabinet, and close the bathroom door. Then we could get some sleep. That gerbil was the definition of devoted persevering. He was perseveringly devoted to trying to escape that cage no matter how many times he failed. Right? Like you'd think he'd get tired sooner or later. Like, are we like that? with prayer? Like, that's the question that Paul's asking. That's what he's calling us to. He's calling us to persevere devotedly to something. And so often, at least in my own prayer life, we come, we come up with this idea like, oh, I, I really want to pray more, but at the slightest hint of God not answering our calls or answering our prayers like instantaneously or at the slightest hint of a time crunch or sleepiness, we just give up. 
Or we just walk away. Or we just think, you know what? It's more effective for me to just get busy doing work than it is to actually pray. Yet the reality of it is, if we want to see gospel fruitfulness, then persevering devotedly in prayer is the main ingredient. It's not the secondary ingredient, it's the primary ingredient. Just take a look at a couple of texts of Scripture that describe the most fruitful church in all of history, the first century church, starting with Acts chapter 1, verse 14. All of these, the people of God at that time, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Acts 6.4, but we, speaking of the apostles, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That word devote is the exact same word that Paul uses in Colossians to talk about steadfastness in our prayers. Do you see a common thread? Do you see the common thread of what's going on? Like, notice what is happening. The secret for fruitful gospel work isn't better music. It's not. It's not more lights. It's not more smoke machines. It's not better preaching, although some of you might wish that that was the case. It's not better classes. It's not smarter, more biblical Christians. It's not tighter jeans or a big, long beard for you hipster folks. Like, none of those things will build fruitfulness in the church. You know what builds fruitfulness in the church? Prayer. Not just haphazard prayer, but persevering, devoted prayer. Just to make it very clear, a fruitless people is a prayerless people. A fruitless people is a prayerless people. Brothers and sisters, if we are not bearing fruit for the gospel in our individual lives or within the church, and we want to bear fruit for God's kingdom, assuming that that matters to us, right? Then when you see it in the church not happening the way you want it to happen, don't complain about the music. Don't even complain about the preaching. Don't complain about what I wear or what the other person next to you wears or what we say or what we don't do. The best thing you can do is get busy praying. Isn't that odd that oftentimes what we do is we complain about all the things around us and we say, well, we need better programs and we need better teachers and we need better this and better that and better carpet and better lights and all of these different things and we neglect the one thing God gives us for fruitfulness, prayer. Prayer. I confess, even as church leadership, we pray, but we don't pray as much as we should. And we're trying not only to confess that, but to actually be different as elders and pastors, to be devoted perseveringly to prayer over all of our ministries, over what we do and what we don't do and how we lead the church. And just to pray for you as the people of God. Because we recognize, and again, just to be positive in the sense of a statement, a fruitful people must be a people of persevering, devoted prayer. Are we incessantly shaking the cage of heaven like Chewy? I guess that's an interesting like, image for you, right? But are, you, are we? I want to. 
But it's not just something the leaders and the elders of the church needs to do. It must be all of us. You notice that about the church in Acts. It, was, it wasn't just the apostles. It was the church. The brothers and sisters. It was everybody. So it's not just about the corporate church. It's about your personal life. It's about your families. If there is no fruit, it's probably because there is very little prayer. And I just ask that question specifically. Do you see the fruit of the gospel's power in your marriage? Do you see it in your home? Do you see it in your kid's life? Do you see it in your finances? Do you see it in anything else in your life? Let me ask the question, how much do you pray? How much is that related to how much you pray or don't pray? Just another visual, because I want this to be so grilled, drilled into our heads for you math people, because I'm not, but here you go. Prayer plus no devotion and steadfastness equals fruitlessness. But prayer plus devotion and steadfastness equals fruit. Biblical preaching without prayer isn't enough. Gospel-centered music without prayer isn't enough. Prayer without action also isn't enough. Amen? It's both and, not either or. But our prayer has to be steadfast, persevering, and devoted. But Paul goes on in this text. He says, not only should you continue steadfastly in prayer, but you should also be watchful. So our prayer is also to be watchful. Or to say this another way, it's to be vigilant. All over the scripture, we see and find the idea that watchfulness and vigilance in our lives is accomplished through prayer. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, tells his disciples, both in Matthew and Mark, to watch and pray. And he reminds them that the spirit may be willing, but the flesh is weak. And he says, therefore, watch and pray. This idea is repeated several times. It's even tied to his coming. Matthew 25, verse 12 says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now here's the thing. We hear this command to be watchful. And, and oftentimes we think, okay, obviously we think, oh, that's, I know exactly what that means. That we're to be watchful for the schemes of the enemy. We're to be watchful for the return of Christ. And I think that that's true. I think that that's components of it. But the question has to be asked, what is the subject of Paul's watching? And what he's asking them to. Remember, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Well, what are we watching for? That's a huge question, isn't it? See, if I were to hand you my phone and I were to say, ooh, here, watch this, you know I'm probably asking you to watch some trailer of a movie or some funny dance TikTok video or kitty video or something like that. Like you would know to look at it looking for some form of uh, something for you to watch. If we were walking down the street and I said, oh, hey, watch your step. Like you would know that there's tricky footing coming ahead. Like oftentimes in the context of what we're saying, we know what to watch for based off what someone is pointing to. If we're Arrowhead Stadium and I said, ooh, watch this, you know that Patrick Mahomes is probably about to score a touchdown, right? right? So you know. But the question is in Colossians, what are we being watchful for? If prayer is how we accomplish watchfulness, like we need to know that. 
And as I was reading one commentary uh, by Douglas Moo, he makes a great clarification, and I just want to read it in his words. What the watching believers are to do in these texts is not to watch for Christ's return, but watch their own life in light of the return of Christ. that's, That's a profound statement. Believers need constantly to be awake to the nature of the times they live in, the last days of eschatological fulfillment without consummation, and to orient their lives accordingly. Now, don't get tripped up in the eschatological fulfillment without consummation, like that, I get it. Here's all he's saying in that last statement, is understand the days in which you live. Anybody see the days that we live in? Does it feel like things are getting better? No, no, no. So what he's saying is understand that and understand God's trajectory through history. And then for Christians, you need to orient your life accordingly, which means that if we see history moving that way, then we should become more devoted, more dedicated to the gospel. But I love how he says this. The watching believers are to do in these texts, not watch for Christ's return, but watch their own life in light of Christ's return. So what Paul is talking about, what he's writing to the Colossians is simply this. He's saying, hey, Jesus could come back any minute, at any time. Watch yourselves in prayer. In prayer, the Spirit can help you stay vigilant to the way of life in which you have been called to lead and live in the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, emphasizes this idea. It says this, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. It should have been a good Father's Day text, but it's not, right? It's a prayer text. Like Paul's saying, like, listen, be watchful that you stand firm. Be watchful that you act like men. Does this sound like battle language to you? Like, I could say this if I was in a foxhole in World War II. Hey, brother, I'm getting ready to go take a nap. Be watchful. Stand firm. Act like a man. Be strong, right? Don't lose sight of yourself. Don't fall asleep. Don't miss where you're at. Keep an eye on your gun. Keep an eye on where you're at. Like, be watchful. Brothers and sisters, we are in a battle as well. And so often we forget that. The book of 1 Corinthians gives us specifics all throughout the book of what specific, steadfast prayer and in, in our lives can actually help us watch for in ourselves. So I want to summarize that. I'm going to go quickly, but I want to encourage you to write these things down. Because if you desire to grow in maturity and you want to be watchful as you pray, these are some of the things that God can do and the things that he can help you see in your lives. So, starting. Prayer can help you keep watchful against temptation to judge one another according to the world's standards. Now think about that. There's a standard in which we judge the people around us according to this world. We judge based off of color, socioeconomic class, the way someone dresses, the way someone smells, the way someone looks, where they came from, what car they got out of. Like this stuff happens with us naturally. And what Paul would say in 1 Corinthians is that as you pray, it helps you be watchful against such things. And it helps you be mindful that for all who are in Christ Jesus, we are united in Christ Jesus. Amen? So imagine you have somebody come into your church, and you see that they're not dressed appropriately for church service that day. And you begin to pray for them. It's hard to be judgmental, isn't it, if you're praying for them? 
Like it starts to do something in you and help you realize that either one, this is a brother and sister in Christ and they just don't understand where they're at and they need work in him, him to work in them and it can give compassion in your heart. Or you might come to the belief that they're not a believer in Jesus Christ, leading you to step into their lives and love them well. See, prayer for other people can help us stay watchful against the temptation to judge others according to worldly standards. It also can alert us against bad theology and bad company. As you read through the Word of God, as you engage in Bible studies, as you talk to people and you ask people questions, how do you know that what they're saying is actually accurate if you're not in touch with the Spirit of God leading you and guiding you? You know, the Spirit is there to do that very thing. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a helper who will lead you into all truth. And so if you want to be guarded against bad theology or even bad company that are going to corrupt you, guess what one of the things you can do? Pray. Pray. God, I don't understand this text. What does this mean? That didn't feel right to me. Can you help me discern whether this is the right thing or the wrong thing? Because this is your word. It's not my word. And I don't want to interpret it my way. If you want to be watchful against bad theology, bad company, pray. When we're watchful to not fall into sexual impurity, Paul saw this is a major problem in the first century. Guess what? It's a major problem in the whatever century and now. What, 21st? I don't know. I'm terrible at centuries, right? Well, like, if statistics hold true, 60% of the people in this room are enslaved to some form of sexual impurity. 60%. That's the statistics in the church. See, here's the thing. If we're prayerful, like we can actually be guarded. This is what 1 Corinthians says it, tells us is that we can be guarded against such impurity in our lives. We can be guarded against those things because we're praying for the people that we might be tempted to treat as objects or praying for people that we might be tempted to lust after or praying for our spouses instead of being tempted to cheat on our spouses. Thanking God for our spouses, which we'll get to that soon. But praying can help us be watchful. Remember, you think you can defeat these temptations on your own? If you do, I'm guessing you found out real fast that's not working very well. So you can be watchful to not fall into sexual temptation. Watchful to avoid complacency about the dangers of greed. So just imagine as you're praying for your church and you're praying for the finances of your church or you're praying for a brother or sister who's struggling or you're praying for brothers and sisters across the world who are starving or don't have anything uh, to to read the Bible or, or, or scriptures to read the Bible with, how hard will it be to move from that prayer to your own personal greed without any feeling of guilt? Not that guilt's the purpose, but the Spirit of God can begin to help help make us generous people, help us be people that are willing to give for the sake of these needs. And prayer can be a means of avoiding that kind of complacency. Watchful against idolatry, those things in our lives that we would be tempted to put before God. Prayer is a way for Him to illuminate those things in our lives. Watchful against self-centered religion. Let me just pose a question. Maybe not even a question, maybe it's just a comment. But if you pray and you find in your prayers that you're only praying about yourself, your problems, your sin, your salvation, your assurance, your comforts, your fears, your sicknesses, 
There's a red flag that your religion and your faith in Jesus Christ is more about you than it is about him. Prayer is a way for God to illuminate that in us. I'm not saying don't pray for ourselves, but if that's all we pray for, then it helps us to see that maybe this is more just about me. And I need to be praying for my brothers and sisters that I sit next to, my family members, my kids, my wife, my spouse, my coworkers, whatever that is. But we need to have our prayers be more than just about us. Primarily, our prayers should be about the will of God and the glory of God. Prayer also helps us, and this is out of 1 Corinthians, but Jesus says this, it can help us be watchful against all temptations, both of sin as well as temptations to lose our faith in Christ. Prayer can also be helpful for us as we watch for the will of God. If you say, I I don't know the will of God, I don't know what he wants from me, it's probably likely you're not praying enough. Can you imagine if I said, well, I, I just don't know what my wife wants me to do with this cabinet or this project in our house and you started talking to me and you realize I haven't talked to my wife in five weeks? Wouldn't you be like, maybe the first thing you should do is actually talk to your wife to find out what she wants? Right? Like, how many of us are like, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And we never stop to pray and ask and seek his actual will. So we can be watchful for the will of God as we read his word. So brothers and sisters, our prayers should be steadfast, but they should also be watchful over our own lives in light of God's return and our desire to be faithful. Next, our prayer should be full of appreciation. Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, be watchful in it with thanksgiving. We should never petition God only focusing on our needs, but should always come to him with appreciation for what he has done what he is doing, what he has given, and what he is giving. Amen? Are we not blessed? Are we not blessed? How many of y'all drove into a car, this, got here to work, or to church in a car this morning, or van, or something, right? Most of us, I don't think many of us took a bus, right? Since there's no other public transit in Wichita. Like, as you find yourself in a place where you start to feel discontentment with maybe your car, what happens to your contentment if you start going, Lord, thank you so much that my car runs. Thank you so much that you gave me a car. Thank you so much that it's this or that. Doesn't your contentment kind of start to be present? Like, sometimes contentment comes from when we're actually thankful for something, right? If you're parents and you've got kids and they start pestering you about doing this or that, or I want this, I want that, make them start to talk about what they're actually thankful for that's in their room. So we are to be a people who are always appreciative of the things that God has given to us. Has he given you a spouse? Has he given you a job? Has he given you kids? Has he given you finances? Has he given you food on your table? Are these not good gifts from the Father? Should we not live lives always, as Paul is saying, that are thankful for these things? Part of the reason we're so often looking for the next thing is because we're not thankful for the things we already have. So we need to be steadfast in our prayer. Our prayers need to be watchful. Our prayers need to be full of appreciation. And then finally, our prayers need to be kingdom-minded. Even in your prayers about your own situations and circumstances, they shouldn't always just be fixed upon what's best for you, but what is best upon for the glory of God and the gospel. 
We should be constantly praying for the furthering of the gospel, not only in our own lives and families, but in our own city and in this world. I am amazed that Paul, sitting in prison, uncomfortable, probably lonely at times, unsure of his future, writes this to the people of Colossae. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Do you know what my prayer would look like? At the same time, pray also for me that I might find freedom, that you would open up the the, the cell doors to my prison, that you would give me grace as I'm getting ready to stand before the magistrate, that he would free me from this prison. Paul doesn't pray that. What is Paul primarily focused upon? His own comfort and security, even as he's sitting in prison? No, he's focused upon the gospel. He wants the word to go forth, even while he's in prison. He's asking people he's never met from however many thousands of miles away to pray, not that he gets out of prison, but to pray that in prison he is faithful to the gospel. Isn't that amazing? Like This is what it means if we want to see fruitfulness in our lives, that our prayers should be focused not always just upon us, but upon the kingdom of God. You ever want to, if you ever run out of things to pray for, just start praying for the lost. There's a couple billion of them in the world. Start praying for him to open doors for you to communicate the gospel. Praying that he would open up your ability to communicate the gospel clearly. Like this is what prayer is to be. It's supposed to be steadfast. It's supposed to be watchful. It's supposed to be full of appreciation. It's supposed to be kingdom-minded. Listen, if you want to bear fruit for the kingdom, if you have a desire to mature, and if you realize that you need God and you're dependent upon him, this is the kind of prayer life you should have. And if you don't, you won't have this kind of prayer life. I love what he says, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. I don't know. It's an important question. Would a door open if we don't pray? Just think about that in your day-to-day. As you go about your job, as you go about your grocery store, and you go about all the things that God has for you, will doors open if you don't ask him to open them? I don't know the answer to the question, but here's what I do know. I believe that if you ask him to open those doors, he'll be faithful to do it. Amen? I believe that. I believe that if you ask him to open up doors for the gospel, he will put people in your path to share the gospel. Church, I don't know where your specific prayer life is. My guess guess is, if you're like me, we all could stand to grow a little bit in our persevering devotedness to prayer in our watchfulness, in our steadfastness, in our appreciation, in our praying for the kingdom. I also know that if we walk out of this space today just learning facts about prayer and what Scripture might have us to do without actually examining our own hearts and our lives, without making some real prayerful efforts to grow and actually change things, we won't be fruitful, we won't mature, and we won't 
we, we might fall ourselves, find ourselves victim of some of these things I've talked about. Might find the word discontent in our lives. So I want to propose a challenge. I want to propose a challenge to you today to go along with your Bible reading plan. And I hope it, that you are doing the Bible reading plan, even if you've fallen behind. If you haven't or you've forgotten for a while and, man, you just got lax or you got discouraged, pick that back up again. Grab that Bible reading plan and just be in the Word. It doesn't matter if you're tracking with everybody else. It doesn't matter if you'll end halfway through 2023. Just be in the Word. But along with that, I would encourage us to all make a commitment to pray very specifically for something for the next 30 weeks. Every single week to pray for some unreached people group in this world. That's what I would, encourage, I would challenge you to make a commitment. So we've provided a couple of ways that you can do that. One, we've got a little booklet uh, out in the lobby at Info Central. And this little booklet has a prayer, an unreached people group, um, for one, well, it's supposed to be for 30 days, but I want to do it for 30 weeks. So you take one of these countries every week and you just pray consistently for this country for that week. We've got 250 of these booklets, so just take one per family, but take it and use it as a means to just help get you started on praying more devotedly, more perseveringly, praying within your families. And so like for this week, you would start praying for Afghanistan. And it talks a little bit about Afghanistan and gives you some of the population. There's a little devotion there. Just all week, you pray for the people of Afghanistan. Our kids are going to be getting little prayer cards to come home with. So if you're parents and you've got kids in our kids' ministry, they're going to bring these home, and they have specific prayer requests for them. Keep this by their bedside. Have them pray for the people of Afghanistan, and next week you'll get another country. But I would ask you to challenge yourself to just start by making a specific commitment to pray every week, every day, for these unreached people groups. I hope it doesn't stop there. But maybe for some of us, it could start there. Maybe for some of us, it's just one step to being more active and more devoted and persevering in our prayers. And so, here's what I want to do. I want to close our time starting with prayer. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want to ask you to stand up for me. And the reason I'm going to ask you to stand up because it's easier for us to move around. And I want to encourage you to get with um, a couple of other people, two, three, four, five other people, and we're going to pray and start our weekly commitment to pray for the people of Afghanistan and for unreached people groups with the people of Afghanistan this morning. And listen, you may not be comfortable praying out loud with people, and that's okay. Guess what's one of the best ways to get over your discomfort? Praying with people. Right? If you're not a believer in this space and you're like, oh no, what am I going to do? How am I going to hide? Because I don't want to pray and I don't even know what that means. Listen, don't worry about it. Just stand next to some people, keep your head bowed, and just listen. I would invite you to listen. Hear the people of God pray because we believe that God hears his people. Amen? Like we believe that he acts and he moves. And, and so this is important for you to see the people of God actually doing this. And so I'm, I'm just going to lead us off. And so go ahead, gather together with just a couple of different people. Maybe it's the people you came with, your family. But we're going to just have a time of prayer. And very specifically, you'll see up on the screen uh, a slide for the people of Afghanistan. And so I just want you to pray out loud. 
asking that God would sustain the faith and strengthen the witness of Afghan believers in the church. And for the good of the Afghan people, pray for the end of terrorism and violence within their country. And then anything else that the Lord leads and puts on your heart to pray over them this morning. So let's just take a couple of moments to just pray over the people of Afghanistan.